Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to the preseason edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. The season is on us, and we're so excited. I think if we were to wait any longer to record the show, it would just be one long extended screech, and that's good for no one. I think we've got one of the best preseason shows that you're going to find. We may not be the only podcast that you listen to going into this season, but we're the only one that you need. And in preparing for this, Uh, We put together a really nice article that's going to be on the website. We hope that you'll give that a read. I'm going to do a Cliff's Notes version of that in the podcast, but alabamafootballpodcast.com. By the time you're listening to this, this will be posted, and we hope you give the full article a read. What's interesting is I had assembled that material the next day, and I'm recording Tuesday morning, and so on Monday, the the schedule came out, not just the schedule, but the, uh, the two deep came out. And my first thought was, ah, crap, how much of that do I need to go and rework? Because how much of that, uh, changed from what we were forecasting. And then I thought, you know what? I bet it hasn't changed a whole lot from what we're forecasting because we're pretty good at this and we have a good sense for some of the rotations and we have a good sense for what Saban does with his roster and the brackets and the oars and the this and the that's that seem to, to flummox a lot of the, the media outlets, if you will. And when we went back this morning and compared the Saban issue depth chart to what we were forecasting, it's pretty darn close. Uh, and as we step through position by position, There'll be a couple of differences, and I'll call them out. We'll own, we'll own where we uh, were missed on something, but uh, I think surprisingly, uh, we were pretty right on with our uh, with our forecast. So why don't we jump in, and we're going to start where everyone does at the quarterback position. I posted on Twitter last night, sort of the rhetorical question: When something happens that everyone expects, and the level of expectancy is so high that it's practically a foregone conclusion. When that event happens, does that constitute breaking news and headlines and exclamation marks and all caps? I don't think it does. And so with all sort of the breathless pronouncements that, you know, breaking news, Mac Jones was named the starter for Missouri. 
I don't think that's breaking news. I think that's something that we've talked about throughout the the summer on our bonus shows. And it's certainly something that as a fan base, we should have expected coming out of uh, last season. Mac Jones started four games, averaged almost 300 yards passing per games uh, per game. He had a couple bad plays, but hey, in four starts, who isn't? And his numbers were pretty darn impressive. They were two alike. If if you were to compare just the, the raw stats and the averages uh, and such. And he wasn't playing a bunch of tomato cans. I know that there was Western Carolina on the schedule as well as Arkansas, uh, lesser opponents. Arkansas is an SEC team, uh, but also played uh, Auburn, who had a, uh, a top-ranked uh, defense or, or higher-ranked defense, uh, as well as Michigan, who also had a higher-ranked defense. And so it was a blend of what other quarterbacks have played, and across those uh, he performed well. To think that a true freshman was going to come in and – take the job away from Mac, that wasn't really realistic. Now, I think that uh, Bryce is going to be a competitor, and we'll see how the season plays out. But I don't think it was headline-breaking news. We interrupt the story to announce that Mac Jones has been named the starter for the Missouri game. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Now, what's interesting is the watch items. And these are the things that we're going to give you that that you may not get uh, anywhere else. So Mac Jones is going to be the starter uh, Bryce Young is going to be the backup, and then we know are, are the second uh, guy off the bench, and we know that uh, Paul Tyson is going to be number three. What's going to be interesting, and this won't play out in game one, because what we're going to see in game one I think is different from what we're going to see over the course of the remaining seasons, the uh, remaining games. Saban is planning for a season, us included, your podcasts, your media outlets, your article writers, your newspapers, your media outlets. They're looking for a headline, and their headline is the headlines and deadlines, right? They're looking for what's the headline for this game, what's the deadline for the next article. And that doesn't really fit well with the the line of sight or line of vision that Saban has over the, the the course of the season. So a couple things are going to be true. Multiple things can be true. Multiple things will be true here. Mac will get a lion's share of the reps against Missouri, even if, and I think he he leads the team coming out of out of half and potentially uh, through about half of the third quarter. That's probably irrespective of score. There might be a possession that we bring in Bryce Young early, but Mac will pretty much own the team through uh, half and into third quarter. And the idea there is not to quell or stifle or prevent Bryce from having an opportunity, but it's because we play Texas A&M in week two. And so how do we get live fire reps for Mac so that he can be most prepared for game two? If we try to split and divide and make everything even between the two guys in game one, then you're not as ready for game two, which really gets into, uh, you know, Texas A&M considered sort of a dark horse in the West, a quality opponent. Not that Missouri isn't, but there's a difference. And so look for the first game, look for Mac to get most of the reps, most of the attention, but over the course of the season, watch for a package for Bryce and watch for him to sort of start to assert himself. And here's sort of the breadcrumbs to watch for. So understand what we're watching for in game one and then watch for the breadcrumbs over maybe the first quarter of the season. What really is the snap count distribution? Saban's always loyal to his starters, 
But if there's a tight rotation, especially at the quarterback position, it means that he's unsettled, that the position is unsettled. So if we start with an even or close to an even snap count distribution, that means there's some unsettling at the position. If it starts with a wide distribution of snap count, then we know that we like what we have and we're building, we're going to build on that and inclusive of bringing uh, Bryce along. <clears throat> so watch for that. Watch for the the times when Bryce does play. What opportunities does he get? Does he come in when the game is 28 to nothing? Uh, or does he come in when it's 14 to nothing? Does he come in when it's 10 to nothing? And so what is the score differential? Early in the season, it'll be different than weeks two and week three and week four. So watch that progress. Don't don't write it in stone after week one. But what type of score differential is in play when Bryce comes in to play? Is the game still in question or is the game over? Also look for the units that he plays with. He is the second team quarterback, so he'll play with the second teamers. But does he get tangible reps with the start uh, with the starting unit? So that's something to watch for. And another breadcrumb that I would watch for is situational football. What opportunities is he given? How does he perform in those situations? So what do we mean by that? A backup quarterback can play well and look good, but not really face football situations. So think about a third and long, think about a two-minute offense, a four-minute offense, rebounding from a bad play, answering an opponent's score, adjustments at halftime, those types of situations. A backup on a strong team can have those types of situations. He can actually avoid a lot of those situations. He can have those situations in, in moments where they don't matter or does Bryce get an opportunity to field, to face those opportunities, uh, those types of situations in, in sort of live fire game situations? Uh, I want to say games on the line, but where, where those situations matter a little bit more. So those are the types of things that we would watch for at the quarterback position. My long-term prediction is that <clears throat> Bryce has a phenomenal career at Alabama. Over the course of the 2020 season, we're going to see him play – more and more, and we're going to see him evolve as as a quarterback. A couple things that, uh, that that to keep in mind with Saban in the quarterback position. I know we're going long at this at this position, but there's the, there's some nuance here to, to watch out for. Tua almost transferred from Alabama. Had he not been given a chance, literally at almost sort of at the last opportunity, uh, had he not been given a chance, he would have transferred. That's something that Saban has learned. Uh, I think if he could go back and do that season again, he would have brought Tua in earlier throughout the season. So that's sort of one hallmark. Also think about Georgia and think about Kirby Smart. And it's not just that we're picking on Kirby Smart, but look at the quarterback talent that they had in Athens. And they, you know, Jacob Eason, Justin Fields, and and Jake Fromm. And out of the three, they ended up with, now look, they're all three quality guys. All three uh, are going to have NFL opportunities. But if you were to list them, if you were to rank them one to three, Jake Fromm might you know, be a consensus number three. And so out of the three quarterbacks, you could reason that Georgia ended up with the least of the three. And so Saban's going to look at that and say, we really like Mac Jones, but if we were to do a head-to-head compare and we had to choose only one between Bryce and Mac, we're choosing Bryce. You know, there's more upside, there's more future, there's more 
juice and recruiting, however you want to you want to frame it. And so if there can be only one, if it's a true Highlander situation, it's Bryce. And so Saban will manage this season with Sark. They'll manage this season to progress Bryce, to put Bryce in the right situations. I won't go so far as to predict that, you know, absent injury, that Bryce starts by the end of the season. But I'll go ahead and project that Bryce is the is the starter on the 2021 season, and that we'll see that over the course of this year, such that that'll, that will be the obvious decision by the end of the season. All right, let's move along and look at the running back position. I think here where we projected the running backs is pretty close to to what happened in, in Saban's uh, depth chart. You know, Najee's going to be the guy. Brian Robinson is going to be number two with a close follow by Trey Sanders. Uh, I think the freshman Jace and Rodell or Rodell and Jace, however you want to put them, I, I think they're going to provide some depth uh, and rotation. Don't know what's going on with Keelan and uh, and Kyle Edwards, uh, the uh, the other freshman, was not listed on the depth chart, though we think he'll play. So let's break this out a little bit. What's interesting is everyone, you see a lot of sort of hyperbole on this is the deepest running back roster that we've ever seen. This is amazing. This is incredible. And I think that's a little bit over the top. Saban has had deep running back cores almost since his day one time uh, at Alabama. I mean, think back to Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, and Eddie Lacy. When Derrick Henry came to Alabama, he was one of four freshman running backs to play in the league. And that was with a, a healthy roster of running back at the time. So to say that this is the deepest, I think, is, is a little bit over the top. Uh, that's not me banging on these guys. I think history will be kind to them. But if we if we look at sort of if, if you know, and I'm going to include Keelan, if we think about the seven running backs on the roster, what you have is three freshmen, one guy that's uh, in Keelan that's AWOL. He hasn't participated in fall camp. So, you know, that's four of four of the seven. You've got uh, Trey Sanders, who has never played. So that's five out of the seven that are have never played or are not available, not participating in camp. So that leaves you with Brian Robinson, who was, let's face it, underwhelming last year. And then, and then you have, you know, you round it out with Najee, who might be the best running back in the country. So what's interesting is you have a, a lot of talent, but it's a lot of unproven talent. So I think it's it's a little much to say this is the deepest that it's ever been because number one, I don't think that's true. Number two, I think if you break down the numbers, it's just hyperbole. So uh, let's keep that in mind. But let's break it down, right? Najee's the clear starter, and here's the reality with Najee: Najee will be a better running back in 2020 than he was in 2019. I encourage you to go look at the Najee YouTube videos. It's a little self-promotional, but but take it for what it is. Dude is preparing hardcore for this season. He has been all season, all summer long, and he looks just carved out of granite. And so Najee athletically uh, has improved upon where he was last year. I think his top end speed is going to be higher. It's really impressive uh, how he looks. So He's going to be a better running back in 2020. His numbers will not bear it out. The reason that everyone proclaims this running back core the deepest that it's ever been is last year's the point of comparison. And last year, as a point of comparison, it was the thinnest running back core that Nick Saban has had at Alabama. So when you compare the thinnest to a list of names that you really like, it feels 
so disproportional. Uh, and it feels more disproportional than it really is. But here's the reality. There is depth and Najee will not be the bell cow in the same way that he was in 19. Hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. He will be outstanding. He will perform phenomenally, but his numbers, his touches will be reduced because Brian Robinson, I think, is going to burst on the scene this year, much like we expected him to last year. I think there's just insert a delay. And then same with Trey Sanders. I've heard he may be the most talented running back on the roster, and he had to miss last season. And so I think even just across the three of those, uh, the, the distribution is different. I'm predicting each of them run for above 600 yards, maybe 700 yards uh, on the ground from each, uh, all three of those guys. So that speaks to ball distribution that eats into Najee's touches. And then I think the youngsters, Rodell and Jace, I think they get a tremendous opportunity in special teams. And I think we do see them in action toting the rock. I do think Kyle Edwards, I think he would typically redshirt, but in sort of the COVID situation, where eligibility uh, it doesn't this year doesn't count against you. I think everyone plays when we think about rotations and depth. I just let's just say this once: it's a COVID world, and eligibility being such that it is, uh, it's going to be a deeper, faster rotation at every uh, at every position. So we need to factor that uh, factor that in as well. Keelan Robinson continues to be a wild card. He's absent from camp. Uh, he's someone that probably could start for some SEC teams. I think he would be in a rotation with Trey sort of at that third spot. I think he's incredibly talented. There's been no news. And so I think what that probably translates into is that he has selected out of the season. We have a great deal of respect for that, and we look forward to him coming back because, again, uh, a lot of talent in the person of one Keelan Robinson. All right, so let's move to the wide receiver core. And I'm just going to put this out here. Wide receiver core, I think, is the easiest position group to project this season. For all the questions, for all the uncertainty, for all of the, you know, who's going to replace, you know, Ruggs and Judy, which are, you know, well, you don't just replace Ruggs and Judy, right? And so for all of sort of the angst or the uncertainty that that creates, I think the wide receiver position is pretty darn solid. And I think how we how the, the top five sort of play out, I think, is easy to predict. And, in fact, we predicted it you know, to a T, you know, we predicted the top six, uh, to a T Devonta, uh, Devonta Smith, Smitty and Jalen Waddle are, are, are number one receivers. Both of them are. So clearly they're in the top three. John Mechie, I think is, uh, was a freshman last year, sort of broke out in very limited opportunity because the other dudes, and I think he's going to perform well. I think he's the natural fit at the third wide receiver. I think the the four and five, probably in this order, are Slade Bolton and and uh, freshman Javon Baker. Slade earned a significant playing time last year, and and as a wide receiver, uh, also as a in the wild card, and so I think Wildcat. So I think we're going to have a unique package for uh, Slade, and then Javon. I think is just sort of burst on the scenes as a freshman, and and was able to sort of move some other guys out of his way. I think the six wide receivers, Xavier Williams, I think he needs to step up. I think he's a speedster, and I do believe that he can spread defenses sort of over the top. I question, not from watching practice, but from seeing a couple of practice photos, I question his hands. It looks like he's he's sort of botched a couple balls, and there's there's singular uh, still photos. So it's a small sample size, but 
It's something that I saw and made me question. I think rounding out the rotation is is uh, freshman Treshawn Holden and uh, Thal Jones-Bell. I'm going to call him TJB. I think they're going to get reps, uh, especially as the season progresses. Uh, but I like the top five that we have there. That's uh, that's that's a really talented group. Smitty, Jalen, Mechie with Bolden and Baker. So what are we watching for? You know, I would watch for Slade's sub package. Uh, I think that's going to be incredibly fun to watch. There's a little bit of a cult hero to his play last year. Uh, he, he actually threw for a touchdown, ran for many first downs coming out of the Wildcat. I think that I think he runs, throws, and catches for touchdowns of the season. I think that's going to be incredibly fun to watch. It's just a dimension. It's almost like a, a toy that this offense has, right? With all of this other talent, with uh, uh, and then we've got sort of this tinker toy at the quarterback position that we can have some fun with. I think that's going to be uh, really fun to watch. Uh, I think Javon Baker's flash as a freshman receiver. I think that's going to be fun to see. We've got uh, really some top flight recruits coming in next season. And so I think he, you know, he has a sort of foot in the door opportunity to flash ahead of some of those guys. I think, I think that's going to be exciting to watch. And then I'm going to go back to Xavier Williams. Does he carve out a role for himself or does he sort of wash out? And I don't mean that rude. I don't mean that. Uh, I, it just happens, right? We all know that it does. And so as long as he's been in the system, he has been passed over. I think he came in the same recruiting class as Waddle, right? And so obviously they've gone in different directions. Uh, Mechie has edged him out. It looks like Baker has edged him out. So there's two recruiting classes that have edged him out. And so a little bit of, little bit of writing on the wall there. In terms of predictions, I think a concerted effort will be made uh, to position uh, Devonta Smith, Smitty, atop the Alabama all-time receiving receiving list. I think if he repeats his numbers from 2019, he'll be right there. Uh, so I think there's some convert, uh, concerted effort there. I think a lot of excitement around uh, Heisman candidates. Alabama has a number of guys that uh, that could be. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around Najee and his versatility. I think we've touched upon that. There's some dark horse. You know, Mac Jones is you know Alabama quarterback. If, if we go on to an undefeated season, uh, then that's going to position him. I think Bryce eats into a little bit of his, his time. And you start to look at uh, – you know, someone even commented that uh, uh, Smitty could get a look, especially if he's re- returning kicks. I don't know that he's going to return a lot of kicks there. I think the the if you had to rank him, I would go Jalen Waddell is the top – Heisman candidate. He's not going to win it. Let's just be realistic. There's there's too many people on the team that could win it that it that it splits the vote. But if 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 you said who's going to finish the highest, it's going to be Jalen Waddle because he's going to have the opportunity to make dy- dynamic plays uh, all over the field on offense. He's the type of run, he's the type of receiver that is best suited, I think, for screens for end arounds, and so he can run for touchdowns. He certainly can catch short yardage, uh, as well as long, just bombs, you know, sort of the broken field, make people miss on a screen and uh, go for a 70-yard touchdown. He has the the speed for that. Those are dynamic plays. And then he can score in the return game uh, as well. We've seen him do it, uh, punts, if teams will punt to him. And I do think he gets opportunities in the kickoff return game. And so he could score touchdowns a couple of different ways, uh, have highlight real plays. And uh, I think that could uh, contribute to his candidacy uh, vote capture. Uh, again, he's not going to win it because uh, there's too much sort of vote um, vote splitting uh, across the squad. All right, let's move on to tight ends. I think wide receivers was the easiest group 
to speak to. I think tight ends probably is the, the most challenging group uh, to speak to. There's quite a number of names. And, and I'll tell you what's interesting about the tight end position. Last year, Alabama played seven. When I went back and looked at it, there was a walk-on that I think, uh, not Giles, but uh, uh, it Matthew Parker or Mark Parker that played. And so it may actually have been eight. And I'm counting two offensive linemen that that uh, that lined up the tight end position. Point is, in 2019, the tight end position was considered a uh, position of weakness, uh, a position of need. And if you compare the tight end room 2019 to 2020, there's not much difference. Uh, the only difference is the addition of uh, of Carl Tucker. Uh, you can talk maybe about Miller Forstall coming back healthy because he had some injury. But tight end was a position of weakness going into the season when everyone was healthy. The the only you could reason that the only change in the tight end room, obviously a year of experience, I'll take that. But the only addition is Carl Tucker in sort of the Saban depth chart. He's not listed in the top three. And so all of the talk around the tight end position being, you know, as deep as it ever is uh, or ever was, a lot of names, a lot of opportunities. I want to slow play that, but I'm not sure I disagree with it either. And so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little conflicted. And so I think if you look at the seven tight ends, it's sort of a block of talent. And and what we need to do is sort of chip apart or break it apart a little bit to really get a look at what we have here. And what I think we have is is three styles of tight end. And when we start to think about it in three styles, then you don't have a block of one through seven, but you have three sort of categories so that helps sort of frame how you think about the seven tight ends and, you know, what really is number one versus one through seven. I don't think it's a one through seven. I think it's three distinct, you know, one through twos or one through threes. So let me break that out for you. And I'm going to use prior players as a proxy so that we have sort of a mental model uh, of what these guys are. If you had to say, and this agrees with Saban's depth chart, if you had to say who's the number one tight end, you're going to go with Miller Forstall. And if you and if you were really pressed and you had to say who's the number two, you're going to go Major Tennyson. Because they're the style of tight end that we most have under Saban, that we've seen most of under Saban. And so if you think of Miller Forstall and a Major Tennyson as – you know, wannabe Hell Hinchesses or wannabe Brian Vogler's. That would sort of be the, the sort of the top of, of the pecking sort of opportunity. They're not. That's not who they are. But they're in that sort of lineage. They're that style of tight end. I call it a motion tight end. They'll line up at the line of scrimmage, but not really in, in power pack run situations because they're not, you know, blockers. Uh, Hinchis would and Vogler would, but I think Miller and Major uh, are not that good at, at blockers. They're motion tie-ins because they'll line up at the, at the line of scrimmage and they'll motion out, and they'll motion out with regularity. They may not be active in the passing game, but they'll be active in motioning out to help identify the middle linebacker or to draw uh, a backer uh, out of out of the box. And uh, and so consider Major and Miller sort of in the Brian Vogler sort of lineage. When you look at a Carl Tucker, he is more of a prototypical tight end in that he can block and that he can catch. For my money, he's a poor man's Irv Smith, and I will take an Irv Smith every day. Um, probably my favorite tight end 
uh, over the last, you know, as long as I've been watching football uh, at Alabama. Irv Smith is probably my favorite. I think Carl Tucker is in that mold. And I think that, you know, he's probably the starter in that mold. And I think Cameron Latou is probably, you know, second to him um, in that mold. He's not, you know, all of these guys are in the mold of, they are not that guy. They're none of them are as good as sort of, you know, air quote, that guy, but that's the mold. That's the style of play. And then when we we think of Jaleel Billingsley, this might be a little bit blasphemous, but he's in the mold of an OJ Howard, really just an oversized wide receiver. And so I would look for Jaleel. He's, He's sort of in a, in a group of one. And, and so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out, the opportunity that, um, that he's going to have there at the, uh, at the tight end position. I think, you know, when we say what to watch for, it, it truly is. Now, we've sort of broken them down, right? And so if we say, what do we watch for? Is there enough attention paid to the tight end position that we get to see each of the, these sort of positional personalities play out? The answer to that's no, right? What we're going to have is an interesting, uh, intriguing ensemble cast where most of the characters don't get developed. Um, that's what we're going to have. What would be really cool is to see sort of a computer simulated version of this season that was tight end centric, uh, because I think you could have a lot of success uh, given sort of the personalities that we have across the tight end room. Uh, but that's not going to happen. The real world in the real world, that's not that's not going to play out. So you're going to see a couple of guys get most of the reps. I think the two guys that sort of bubble up to the top are going to be Carl Tucker and uh, Miller Forstall. We're going to see some uh, Cameron Latou in short yarded situations. Uh, he can play more of, think of a true H back and he's played some fullback in uh, goal line type situations, short yard, short yardage. I would not be surprised if he gets a, if he gets a carry. I, I, I so want to say touchdown because that's sort of a metric, but uh, if not a touchdown, look for sort of a fullback dive where he gets uh, a first down. So look for him to, to see the, uh, a touch. And for Cameron, I'm most excited about his potential for 2021. But uh, that's that's sort of how that's sort of how that goes. Uh, Jalil uh, Jalil Billingsley, I think he's going to get uh, I think he's going to get a handful of touches. I think he had two catches in 19. He's easily going to build uh, build upon that. I think he gets a couple of scores. I think there's going to be there will be a game, and this is sort of a watch for situation. If he goes, if he plays and gets in coverage, and they try to put a small corner or maybe a small safety on him, uh, because you know, air quotes, he, he's not a threat. Then I think we can pivot a game plan, and it may not, maybe not for a whole game, but for a quarter. If there, if you're watching Alabama football, and there's a quarter where, holy hell, Jaleel Billingsley's caught four passes, you know, four or five passes here in a row, scored a touchdown. Kind of what's going on there? Watch, watch that because that's because you know the defense has tried to cover him with, you know, a smallish defensive back, not realizing his athleticism, not realizing his capability. Because if you just looked at the numbers. You know, they wouldn't be there. They uh, they wouldn't be there. All right, moving along to offensive line. Offensive line might actually be one of the better uni- units uh, across the team. Uh, I think it's one of the deeper units and, and certainly the talent. Uh, Saban has mentioned there's seven quality starters across the, the offensive front, which I think is uh, cert- certainly a healthy number. Uh, that's, the, that's the type of number you want to see. You want to be, be on that side of uh, the, the numeric there. And I think it explains a lot of the brackets and oars that you see in in uh, the Saban depth chart. 
there's also still competition for starting snaps and starting positions. So let's break it down. Left to right, the uh, the Saban depth chart uh, is what we started calling it. The Saban depth chart matches what uh, what we had predicted. Alex Leatherwood at left tackle, left to right, Deontay Brown, uh, uh, Landon Dickerson at center, Emil Echior, and uh, Evan Neal. Uh, Evan Neal moving from uh, from left guard to right tackle, I think is something that we all saw. My hope, my wish, is that someone had stepped up at center so that Landon Dickerson could move to, to guard. I think he's an All-America type uh, candidate at guard, but certainly playing, and he'll play guard in the NFL. But certainly as a, a center, he uh, acquitted himself well in 2019, and I think he can lead the team at that position this year. I think uh, when we look at the two deep is where there's a little bit of variance. And, you know, what's interesting, when we picked our two deep, we were pretty darn close. We had the left, uh, we basically had the the left and right side of the lines uh, sort of crossed. And so on the right side, uh, it's Pierce at guard and Kendall Randolph at at tackle, and we had those on the left side. We had uh, Kendall Randolph at tackle and Pierce guard at the or Pierce Quick at the left guard, and then on the other side, Chris Owens is backing up Leatherwood at left tackle with Tommy Brown at the at the left guard. We had Tommy Brown as a right tackle and Chris Owens as the right guard, and so we had the same we had the we had the same ten. We just did sort of a a, a left right uh, uh, flip on. Uh, on the two deep. And what's interesting there, a lot of the rationale, a lot of the reasoning for that is, is given, is due to the competition at the center position. And so Landon Dickerson, Darian Dalcourt, Emil Echior, and to a lesser degree, Chris Owens. Now they've all started, they've all played at center and, uh, and at least three of them have started at center and Darian Dalcourt is considered the future at the center position. And so the thought is someone should be able to step up, play that position and move Landon over. That hasn't happened. And that's led to a lot of the, the brackets and the oars, uh, because they're still competing. They're still competing for that center position. And then, so when you start to say, okay, Landon's going to land at center, then where do these other guys sort of land the Dalcourt? Who's the backup at the center? And, uh, and then where do the other guys sort of land in the rotation? And so we had them land a little differently than, uh, than Saban did. But I think the, the philosophy, the principle, I think we're right on for, um, <clears throat> and, and that that's, you know, that's really the rotation. How do these guys rotate? If someone were to go down, uh, I think we're going to see, uh, Dalcourt and Chris Owens be that six and, uh, that, that six and seven guy, um, in, uh, you know, again, depending upon who goes down and where. Uh, so that's, I think, is going to be, you know, one of the more interesting things. I kind of kid in the article, don't tattoo this list, you know, this starting list anywhere, because, again, you know, that the uh, the center right guard remains, uh, you know, competitive spot. I think what's going to be interesting to watch for, and we've and you know, just continuing the theme at the center, what's going to be interesting to watch for is the rotation. And not just who plays center next, but when do they play center? Do they come in and play center while the game is still on the line? Do they come in and play center with the rest of the, the starting unit? If that happens, then coach is actively trying to get someone else in that center position. And again, it's not that Landon is bad at it. It's just he's so much better at guard. And so if someone else can can take that center position and play the center position almost as well, as Landon, then you free up Landon to play guard. And so 
if in the first quarter, Landon and Emil switch positions for a series, that's telling. If game's still on the line, early second quarter, Dalcourt comes in at center and Landon slides down to, to guard. That's not a change in terms of the pecking order. That's just we're experimenting, we're rotating, we're giving guys reps. And so do we start to see that type of movement, roster movement, while the game is still on the line? When you bring in the twos, you you brought in the twos. You can't really – there's a but there's a, a one and a half, right? There's a nuance there between the two units where we're still maybe trying to figure something out. That's uh, that's going to be the key thing to watch. I th- again, you know, prediction, I think Dalcourt's the long-term, you know, prospect at center – uh, I do think we try to we try to move him around a little bit. I think wherever he plays, Landon is an All America uh, candidate. He's probably uh, All America uh, first or second team at at guard, and he's probably All America you know second or third team uh, at center. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch. I think Leatherwood. I mean, he's a guy that you just don't mention because he's you pencil pencil him in. He's going to be a top ten uh, NFL draft pick. Uh, has been an outstanding player over his career at Alabama. I think he's All-America. I think second-team All-America candidates, and this sounds crazy because I'm listening to everyone at, at this high high billing, I feel really strongly about the offensive line, which is why I made the predictions at the, the running back position. But I think Deontay Brown and uh, Evan Neal uh, will get some individual honors as well. Uh, Emil Ecuador probably doesn't get the, the same level of individual honors, but uh, he is an integral player in what is the what I predict is the 2020 Joe Moore Award, which goes to you know, the best offensive line in, uh, in, in the college game. So look for that. All right. Let's flip the field and go to defense. I think the biggest change, the biggest sort of roster transformation that we have in 2020 is across the front eight. And that starts across the defensive front. You know, here again, we were pretty darn close to uh, to the to the two deep, or really even the three deep that uh, that Saban put out. LeBron Ray, DJ Dale, and uh, Justin Oboibe were the starters that we uh, put into play. We had Brian Young as the the backup behind Ray. Uh, we had probably uh, Shopshire and Tim Smith bracketed, but Shopshire first. Uh, Saban bracketed him, Tim Smith, and then Shopshire. That's fine. That's pretty darn close. Uh, we had uh, Christian uh, Barmore behind a Boyby, and uh, we had also put Fildarian in the middle. But and I and I and I, I really struggled with that because he played because he's his size dictates he plays in the middle. Uh, his athleticism at that size uh, dictates that he plays at the end. And so I think what we've got is, you know, a, man nine deep um, at the uh, across the defense. Uh, which is pretty darn uh, amazing. I think the defensive front is is going to be a weapon, and and I'll say this: uh, Saban. There's a theory that Saban has shared, you know, a handful of times that uh, the smaller guys. You think of a a, a receiver, a, a secondary guy, they get gassed, but they can go sit down a little bit and they can sort of fill up their tank because they just you know energy energy guys. The big boys, the three hundred pounders, when they get winded, when they get gassed. They're pretty much done. And Saban has said that, right? He's seen the little guys sort of refresh and then, you know, they're a daisy. And the big guys, when they get gassed, it's see you tomorrow. 
It's that kind of deal. And so across the defensive front, what you have, it's a high energy position, but you also have the big, the big boys, right? The 300 pounders. And so what you have is if there's no depth, if you can't look over to the sideline and, and tap your helmet, then you're going to start taking plays off and you're going to, you know, the level of sloppiness uh, is going to go to, is, is going to increase and the level of execution is going to go down when you have, and, and think about, you know, last season with the number of injuries, right? LeBron Ray, uh, missed time. DJ Dale missed time. Uh, Justin Boyby, you know, missed missed time. Uh, Christian Barmore just sort of came from nowhere. Phil Mathis, Philarian Mathis, played a lot more than uh, than than maybe he otherwise uh, would have. Some of the youngsters weren't ready to play, and so they weren't able to step in. You think of Tavita um, Masaka; he started uh, a couple of games uh, last year in 2019 as as a result of just the lack of the lack of depth. What we're going to have this year is an incredible amount of depth, uh, maybe nine deep, right? That at least in a rotation that can come in, get you a couple snaps, uh, let, uh, let the starter sort of get their breath back, get the, the, the frontline rotation guys, get their depth back. If you think of a rotation that includes LeBron Ray, uh, just the two deep guys, uh, LeBron Ray, Fildarian Mathis, DJ Dale, Tim Smith, Justin Boyby, Christian Barrymore. That's six guys that I feel really good about leading you through uh, an SEC game, leading you through the, the the bulk of uh the bulk of you know sort of a tight game challenge. Feel really good about that. So I think the I think the defensive line, you know, if we were to predict something, and this goes back, I think, to 2015, where you could list out six, seven, eight defensive linemen that you felt really, really good about. What happens is a defensive line itself becomes a weapon because of no one has to look at the scoreboard. No one has to look at who's going to play the next play behind them. They can just line up and give it all they've got on this play and they can line up and do it the next play. And they know that they're not going to winded, get winded. They know that they're not going to have to sustain that for the whole game. So they know I don't have to take any plays off. I can get my deep breath. And I can come back and I can play and I don't have to I don't have to save something for the fourth quarter because we've got enough depth, enough rotation that I can play all out every play and still have something in the tank because we've been able to rotate and save ourselves over the course uh, over the course of the game. When you can do that, the defensive line itself becomes a weapon. The depth becomes the weapon. We did that in 2015. I think we do that in 2020. Uh, I think the depth across the defensive front is that much. You know, a watch item, DJ Dale. Uh, we hear that uh, reports are that he's unstoppable uh, at times in practice. Uh, I think if that's true, if you have DJ Dale, Christian uh, Barmore, uh, LeBron Ray, and linebacker Will Anderson, we'll talk about him in a minute. You have those type of guys lined up on a third and long. Offensive line better pack their lunch. It's going to be a long day. Uh, and uh, it's, it's you know, that's going to make the the secondary, and we're going to talk about them too. That's going to make all of their jobs uh, easier. Everything gets easier when the front four is affecting the quarterback. Everything gets easier. Everybody plays better when the front four affects the, the quarterback. When the front seven can shut down the line of scrimmage, everything gets easier. And it's sort of a ripple effect from there. I think the, ba- the basis, the foundation is in place uh, across the defensive line. Super. Super excited about that, and that's going to be something to to watch out for. All right, let's uh, let's continue sort of moving back in the defense, and let's go to the linebacker core. I think uh, this is another position I think we predicted pretty well, and I just want to stop and pause and say this for a minute. 
holy hell, three of the starting linebackers are from the Baton Rouge area. Christopher Allen, Dylan Moses, and Christian Harris. And you think, how the hell should you not get these guys to stay home? I don't know the answer to that question other than just Saban's, a, uh, you know, his level of recruiting is just off the charts because that's some significant talent to have on the Alabama roster. Now, let's start to break down the rotation. We're going to break down four uh, positions. Uh, please keep in mind that Alabama does not often play four linebackers. You know, for all the talk of being a 3-4, we're more of a 3-3-5. And so something uh, something to keep in mind. But in terms of breaking down the linebackers, we did break down all four positions uh, we had done this before the depth chart came out. And then when, when we compared notes, we realized we're not that far off. We had uh, we have Christopher Allen sort of left to right, I guess. Uh, Christopher Allen or, you know, you know, what is it? Strong to, to weak. Right. And so uh, Christopher Allen, Dylan Moses and Christian Harris in the middle. Uh, now, we originally had Ben Davis as one of the outside linebackers based on reports, all, all of sort of the, the feel-good stories about Ben Davis and how he's progressing. But what really happened is Will Anderson just burst on the scene. And so my expectation is was that Ben Davis would start first and second downs. And I think Saban even said this in, in some press conferences, that Christopher Allen and Ben Davis would, would play, you know, they were candidates for first and second down. And some of the youngsters would be candidates for passing downs. And so I had Christopher Allen and Ben Davis book in uh, the end of the line with their backups being Will Anderson and Drew Sanders, you know, maybe coming in on third down. What's interesting is what Saban did is we said, we're going to put, we're going to, we're going to take those same four guys and we're going to group them a little different, differently. We're going to bash them a little differently. And so instead of Ben and Chris starting, we have been backing up Allen and then our uh, Christopher Allen. And instead of Will Anderson and Drew Sanders, backing up. We're going to have one start and then one back up the other. So I think that's, that's the subtlety there, but it's interesting. Uh, we had King Makuta as a backup to Christopher Allen and sort of really breathing down his neck. What's interesting is he is bracketed with Ben Davis. And so I think he's breathe, breathing down both of their necks. By the end of the season, I would not be surprised to see uh, King Makuta starting at one of the outside linebacker spots. Uh, in the middle, uh, pretty straightforward, Dylan Moses and Christian Harris. I think everyone had that. Shane Lee and Jalen Moody or Jalen Moody and Shane Lee. I, I'll sort of give and take on, on that one. Shane Lee started the, the full season uh, last year, so I'll probably give him a little bit of nod over Jalen. Uh, Shane Lee beat Jalen out last year. Did Jalen sort of bounce back and, and beat out Shane this year? I doubt it, but, you know, okay. Joshua McMillan is backing up Christian Harris. That's probably where I had him, but uh, I, I, I don't think there's a, he's a threat to beat out Christian Harris. And then I think the depth there is Ali Keho and and uh, Demoy Kennedy, and I think that's pretty close to to uh, to what we had there. You know, in terms of watch items, you know, Saban only just recently in a press conference alluded to uh, Dylan Moses's in, in, knee injury and his recovery, and he talked about and he, and he compared it to his own recovery from hip surgery. Uh, that when you have a pain for so long, uh, even though it's been repaired mentally, it's still there. Uh, Saban talked about there's some things that he does physically uh, or did in his, early in his recovery that he did physically that he knew historically he had pain and he expected to have the pain again. And he just didn't because, you know, the hip, hip replacement. And so when you take a player that is recovering from an injury mentally, you know, some of that is still there. And so Saban commented that he's seen, uh, you know, Dylan sort of work through that in practice. What's interesting, what I haven't seen anyone sort of speak to or report over 
is Dylan's level of, of play. And I think maybe we mentioned this in a podcast, but I haven't seen it anywhere else. Not that his level of play is he going to be any good. He's going to be a star. But does he get reduced reps? Does he sit out a series uh, with more regularity? Does he maybe not, you know, I don't want to say mispractice, but does he practice less? There's almost an NFL treatment, you know, guy's a star. We know that he, what he can do and he's recovering from injury. So we're going to hold him back a little bit in certain situations. So I think that'll be a fun thing to see. I think there's going to be uh, a little bit of that uh, going on. I think Dylan Moses, we've said this before, is the cheat code for Christian Harris. Uh, Christian Harris, second year in the, in the system, he's going to be better by virtue of that, you know, by virtue of the experience. But he's going to be so much better by virtue of getting to line up next to Dylan Moses. And he won't have to think about, am I in the right place? Because one, he's going to know the system a little bit more. And number two, Dylan Moses will make sure that he's uh, that he's lined up correctly. So even if he misses an assignment in, in terms of pre-snap lineup, Dylan's going to correct that for him. And so that's something that Christian Harris doesn't need to think about disproportionately. Obviously, you need to think about where you're lining up, where your assignment is, and get ready to play. But there's a level you, but you can sort of lock up thinking only about that. Well, with with Dylan out there, Christian, you know, again, his own improvement, but lining up next to Dylan, he's going to have sort of that safety with him. I think Dylan Moses is the is is really the cheat code to unlock Christian Harris. My prediction is that Christian Harris is probably the star of the defense or one of the stars of the defense, and I think he's the leading tackle uh, tackler uh, in 2020. I think he's really, really uh, going to explode. Uh, let's see what other predictions we talked about. Uh, King Makuta uh, potentially taking over the the starting position over the course of the season, and then Will Anderson. You know, there's reports that that he's just been phenomenal in some of the scrimmages and the sack totals. Those are going to be distorted because you're not tackling the quarterback to the ground, just sort of touching them, and so you can pad pad numbers that way. But I mean, if if it's off by half, right? I saw ten, which is just an incredible number. If that's off by half, then he's had an incredible impact. And there's some speculation, you know, is he the next Derek Thomas uh, type uh, outside linebacker? And I'll say this, if he's the next Derek Thomas style linebacker at Alabama and the production sort of, uh, you know, approaches that, then he's going to win two national titles while wearing crimson. I just think that's the reality of it. All right, let's move on back to the secondary. I'm going to pat ourselves on the back here in the secondary, too. This is the hardest one to nail. Uh, and I think we were pretty darn close. You know, Alabama has lost an incredible amount of secondary players over the last uh, couple of years. This year, we're replacing, uh, what is it, four of six uh, when you consider the dime package. And I think in, in you know, Saban's defense, I think you, you have to uh, you have to think about that. We play nickel so much, and then the dime really is, is, is uh, we play a lot, of, a lot of dime as well. And so for a Saban defense to fully function, we need five or six DBs, and then we need some rotation, you know, even from there. And so what we did is we broke out. Now the saving depth chart breaks out just through the star position. So it just, it just breaks out through the nickel. We went in and broke it out through the dime. And what that does is it, it distorts uh, a little bit because when you start going three deep at six positions, well, you start going two deep. We went two deep at six positions, which is the same as going three deep at four positions, right? It's, it's just 12 players. Uh, what you also get into is you start spreading the the, the mustard too thin, right? You're going to have guys in your two deep at six, 
that probably really aren't two deep players. And I think that's why Saban went with five uh, instead of the six. But let's play this out, right? And so your cornerbacks are Patrick Sertain and Josh Job. We nailed those, uh, of course. That's in the, that that was that was easy lifting. Uh, Jalen Amore Davis backs up uh, Sertain, and Marcus Banks max, uh, backs up uh, Josh Job. We had those two guys. We just had them flipped. Uh, strong safety, uh, Jordan Battle, free safety, uh, Daniel Wright. Obviously, we had you know those guys. Some of these are easy, right? Uh, we definitely had those. You know, we've got Turnage as the backup at free safety because. And then we've got Christian Story as the backup at strong safety. The reason we do that, and this is this gets to the difference between you know four, five, and six. How deep are how many positions are you carving out in your roster? The backups at strong and and free, we have as the backups at the money position, which is the sixth uh, defensive back. And so in the Saban depth chart, you have Demarco Hellams backing up battle and you have Eddie Smith backing up uh, Daniel Wright. I think I got those uh, sequentially right. Well, what we have is both of those guys uh, at the money position. So when we add the sixth position, we have to pull those players from somewhere. And so I feel like what we have is right. uh, And I think obviously what Saban has is right too. I think they're both right, but the lens is different when you, when you add in that sixth position. So Daniel Wright at free safety, uh, so we put turnage there, uh, to get to a two deep at the star. We originally had Brian branch, uh, but Malachi Moore, uh, is, is leading at that position followed by Brian branch. These guys, I just said, they're going to be stars, right? These are like young pups that are ready to play. They came to Tuscaloosa, uh, and I, and, and I, and I call them young pups. It's like, I can, like they're what and I'm not at practice, but the image I, I have is that they're super playful, they're super talented, they're super super athletic, and they feed off of one another. Uh, early in camp, Brian Branch was you know was going to be the breakout starter, and that sort of challenged Malachi Moore. Now I'm kind of projecting a little bit because I don't know these guys, but I think you know I, that's sort of the narrative that that plays out in my head. They are going to be stars uh, in the secondary, so learn 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 their names and uh, get used to watching. Uh, those guys in the secondary. Now, of note, I don't have Ronald Williams listed uh, due to injury. As he comes back from uh, his broken arm uh, second half of the season, we'll see where he slots in. I think he's clearly depth at um, at a cornerback position. And, uh, you know, technically he has two years of eligibility left. And so with the COVID this year not counting, uh, he may yet still have two years of eligibility. So he could potentially be a starter in 2021. Uh, let's get him right, and uh, let's get him some time in the system, and we'll see how Ronald, uh, Ronald Williams uh, shakes out. Let's see. In terms of uh, watch items, I, I think it's the rotation. You know, I enjoy counting the DBs as they line up uh, in a game, uh, and it's certainly easier to do live than versus TV. So that's going to be a little bit of challenging circumstance to, to watch for that. And, and, you know, almost a word of caution, do not judge the secondary by week one. You can't do that. This secondary is going to get better as it progresses, as they gel, as they spend time. Uh, we still have some youngsters uh, out on the field. Uh, I remember it was 2014, 2015. I can't remember. Uh, we were opening the season in Dallas against Wisconsin, and we went to a dime. Uh, actually, we went to a nickel, and it was the first season that Eddie Jackson 
was moving, had moved out to uh, a safety position. And so, you know, you could reason that he was technically uh, playing out of position. And so what, and I can't remember the starters at corner and, and star, but in effect, it was the first time we had seen four cornerbacks in a nickel set. And I think Ronnie Harrison, true freshman at the time, was the safety. And so we're trotting out new players at new positions. And so, you know, Wisconsin hit some passes. And, and we did this in response to the prior season. The secondary didn't play so well. And so we were sort of trans, uh, tr- there's some transformation going on there in the secondary. And we were sitting with these people that just, just immediately wanted to harp on the secondary. And I'm not going to say it wasn't disappointing, but you have to take the long view here. And, you know, trying to explain to God, do you not you see what's happening here? We've got four corners in, in a nickel and the fifth is a true freshman. This secondary is going to pop. This secondary is going to be a strength of the team by the end of the season. Fortunately, we were right. I think something very similar could happen in 2020. We've got some youngsters uh, on the field, and I think they're going to develop and this secondary is is going to be is going to pop uh, before the end of the season. I think there's there's too much talent for there not to be true. Some of these guys are definitely upperclassmen: Patrick, Josh, uh, Daniel Wright, um, uh, are, are definitely upperclassmen. So it out of the gates, they may actually even play better, you know, than they did back in fifteen. But I think this secondary uh, is stacked, a lot of talent, and uh, I look for it to develop. So watch for that. Don't judge the secondary on possession one on the first half, even on the first game. Watch it get better because it because it will. Don't leave the Missouri game saying, oh, we actually might be in trouble against Texas A&M because our secondary looks bad. If, if, if you're tempted to have that feeling, and we'll say this on the podcast to remind you, if you're tempted to have that feeling, put a smile on your face and say, oh, we just baited a hook there. We'd rather not have had that happen, but there's too much talent. There's too much capability. There's too much concentrated coaching, coaching in place for the secondary not to be good. So if, if there's a bump in the road, just smile and, and move on because the secondary is going to be strong and it's going to get strong fast. All right. Special teams. What do we want to say about special teams? I think Will Reichert is going to be the answer to prayer. And I think Ty Pirine is going to, I think we've got a dozen guys bracketed hit punter, uh, which that's fine. I think what that really speaks to is consistency. Uh, Saban harps on, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather have consistency, right? I'd rather have a guy that I know can punt at 40 yards every single time rather than have a guy that's going to, you know, shank every fourth punt amidst having 55 yarders, right? And so I just, you know, Saban wants to know, right? I can plan around what I know. And and so the at the punter position, I think it really, you know, 100% boils down to consistency. And if somebody gets consistent and can be consistent, you know, with 41-yard punts, then that's what we're going to get. And uh, so that'll be interesting to, to see that play out. I do think that Jeff Banks probably is super excited. It's uh, COVID Christmas come early. You know, he has the full treasure chest of the full roster, all of the freshmen. You know, it's not a four-game limit. 
it's, you know, eligibility doesn't count. And so he can take everyone in every configuration and every formation, guys that most certainly would redshirt can have an opportunity to, to do something in special teams. And maybe every unit, maybe there's greater diversity across every unit because you're not sort of reusing the same pool of secondary players. And so I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, that could be over the course of the season that special teams get better and better because there's more specialization. So that might be something uh, that might be a fun thing to, uh, to watch there as well. All right. So we went longer than, than I was expecting, but uh, again, I think this is the one podcast you need for preseason readiness uh, for the Missouri game. I'm going to tell you what, we've got some fun, exciting stuff going on at the podcast. I invite you. I want you, I would, you know, beg you go to alabamafootballpodcast.com. And we've done a little bit of a remake on the podcast or on the website. It's pretty slick looking. And while you're there, <laughs> subtle, subtle little uh, nod here. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for the uh, listener support campaign. We have an entry level that we think is a bargain. And we are doing more bonus shows this year, I think, than than we than we did last year. Last year, we did 30. And this year, I think we're going to be on pace to uh, to break that. There's already five bonus shows out there. And there's already five, four or five that are already posted. Uh, we are doing pre-game or pre, yeah, pre-game podcasts with opponents this uh, this year. And they will release preseason or pre-game to the bonus team. We might take some of those and release them to the larger group after the game. But the conversation with uh, podcasts and writers uh, from opposing teams before the game will only be available to those that are part of our bonus team. And I can go ahead and tell you right now is we're recording on Tuesday. I already have the Missouri show uh, scheduled to record tonight. I've already prepped for that. Look forward to that. And this week, uh, we reached out to two Missouri shows, hoping to get one. And I think we've got both. And so there might be two bonus shows for uh, Missouri. So we encourage you to go to the website, alabamafootballpodcast.com. You'll see the 2020 listener support campaign. Give that a read. Just take a look at it and say, hey, is this worth, you know, checking out? We really, really think it is. It's only a few bucks to support the podcast. Help us offset costs. This is a hobby for us. While we enjoy doing it, uh, we don't mind sort of sharing some of the cost with with our most loyal and, and supporting fans. Uh, we hope uh, that you're a part of that group. You know, give us a read. If there's any questions, uh, even if you want to talk football, certainly please do reach out because that is a passion of ours, as you well know. All right, enough of the hard sell. Do check it out. There's some cool stuff on the website. Uh, do check it out and uh, so, uh, hit us up on Twitter. I've been a lot more active on Twitter lately. Uh, follow us on uh, Twitter as well. There's a link to a link to all this uh, in the articles. All right, enough ramble. We are super excited about the football season kicking up here in just a couple of days. I do predict. What's the overall prediction? I think Alabama makes the season look easy. I know that's uh, it's Homer-ish, crimson gal, uh, glasses-ish, but I think this team is so ready to play. They're so ready to take the field. I think the leadership on this team, the depth of talent on this team. Uh, I think it's it's truly impressive. I think it's it's borderline just incredible. I think this team is ready to to take the field and kick some ass. I think we step through this ten game SEC schedule, we make it look easy, and uh, we certainly get back to the playoff. And uh, I think Alabama is in the is in the title game. And then uh, you know we'll let sort of the chips fall where they may from there. So that's our big prediction for the season. 
We hope you all enjoy the ride with us, uh, alabamafootballpodcast.com. And with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.